This is Monday. I'm Dan Nathan. This is Market Call. I am joined by Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. You know him. You love him. Nothing slick, just charts. What's up, Carter? What? My name's Guy Adami. What are you talking <laughs> yeah, exactly. about? Exactly. You would have a lot, you would have a lot more people, Dan and Guy. I don't just because I changed my look and I have a Carter mask on doesn't mean that I'm well, Carter, you were you were filling in for Guy Adami. Um, Guy's been traveling, and he's deserves a little time off. And I really appreciate you um, filling in today. Today's market call, people, is brought to you by our friends at FactSet. They sponsor all of our market calls and all the data and analytics that you see that we use that's up here. It's from FactSet. So thanks to FactSet. Um, Carter, one little bit of uh, just housekeeping here. Guy, Danny Moses, and myself, we do the On The Tape podcast, which you have been a guest of. We are going to be doing a live broadcast in New York City at Times Square at the NASDAQ on December 16th. And we are doing it with our good friends, Josh Brown, TRB, the Reform Broker, and Michael Batnick. They host The Compound, which is a great podcast that I have been on. Guy, has been on they've been on our podcast and we're doing it all for no kids hungry so jacob is going to put the uh tweet out there where you can go and get the tickets the tickets are limited they're going fast and all the proceeds are going to no kid hungry so thanks for that check that out we'd love to see you we're gonna have some drinks after it's gonna be a lot of fun all right carter hopefully you'll be there my main man so let's do this thing um you know S&P is not acting great. It didn't act great Friday after the jobs number. We had that really sharp rally Wednesday afternoon after Fed Chair Powell was speaking at the Brooks Institute. I don't know about you. I just didn't see anything in his conversation that led me to believe that there was any pivot coming anytime soon. But we're given some of that back. Just talk to me a little bit about, I know you spend not the whole weekend, but you spend a lot of the weekend looking through charts, looking through patterns, looking at different sectors around. What was your overall take? Sunday afternoon when you kind of got the lay of the land of the technical, you know, kind of aftermath of that volatile week that we had last week. Right. I mean, I think the the performance of areas that have been great, that would be energy industrials continues to flag. Banks, which has been terrible, continues to get worse. And then you're left with a circumstance of the most bombed out names trying to bottom. You see them in marijuana stocks. You see it in Chinese internet stocks. You see it in biotech. Yep. And so to some extent, that's a beta trade. It's a it's a it's a juice trade, people wanting to commit capital alongside. And rather than chasing things that have come up 30, 40% off their lows, catching something that's still young, still nascent, still just bottoming. Yeah, I want to mention, you know, the banks and in a couple of weeks ago, I think it was maybe a week and a half ago, I mentioned on Fast Money that, you know, the BKX or the XLF, they were going up against kind of some levels that where they had been rejected um, in the summer and then again in the spring. And I thought like from a technical standpoint, if the market's going to be okay, um, then then the banks should break out. You know, they led to the downside for the better part of the first half of the year. They've had these massive rallies since they reported Q3 earnings. You had a note out last week on the BKX. 
X saying to sell it and then sell it again. You did not like what you were seeing technically. And I would also mention, I think I mentioned this last week on Market Call, my friend Doug Cass over there at Seabreeze, who there's very few people who know bank stocks as well as he does from a fundamental standpoint. He also doesn't like them. He was mentioning this to me on chat earlier today that interest rates over the last two days have begun to head up, providing an increasingly attractive alternative to equities. The 210 spread is widening further, suggesting a rising possibility of a recession. High-frequency economic indicators indicate that led by housing construction, the global economy is deteriorating. It also highlights the fact that, listen, when bank stocks are leading to the downside, it's usually a bad sign for the broad market. Thoughts here, again, you, you probably, you see that line, that uptrend from the lows a month ago. It's being broken in a big way today. So you think that banks will lead the broader market to the downside here, Carter? Right. So the banks have the same low, essentially, as the general equity market. But that chart that we're looking at, which is an absolute chart, if you look at relative performance to not the market and it's poor, but to its actual sector, the BK, that chart is making literally shocking plunging lows. Yeah. One year, five year, 10 year, 20 year lows. So looking at banks, and this is obviously dominated by JP Morgan Wells, Bank of America City, um, if you look at an aggregate like that, which is what KBW Bank Inter captures, and you juxtapose that against all financials, which is now against Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, Allstate and Prudential, MetLife and uh, Bank of New York and uh, Schwab, the banks are showing all the things that one doesn't want to see if one is long. Yeah, poor well, which performance, poor absolute performance, yeah. can't get above trend. It's just bad. And they're, yeah, they're getting murdered today. And that was the story of the first half of this year, and which was one of the reasons that gave me confidence in shorting some of those bear market rallies because banks led to the downside. So, so to your point today, with JP down 2.5%, Wells, Bank of America, and Citi all down more than 3%, that should give you more confidence. That And you made this point. We're going to look at the S&P chart in a minute, but look where the S&P stopped last week on that news. And, and again, that felt really algo-driven Wednesday afternoon. But real quickly, there's two prominent um, strategists, and, and they're both friends. And I like them both. And they both have two very different views. Tom Lee over at Fundstrat, he's saying that we could explode out of this downtrend that's been in place in the S&P 500 from the start of this year, and we could get to 4,400, 4,500. He also asked the question, why has the U.S. from a peak to trough basis acted worse at its lows? It was down 28% versus, let's say, China or Europe, that sort of thing. Now, the easy answer to me on that, Carter, is that our rates went up quicker, Okay, our dollar, our U.S. dollar, the currency went up quicker. And that's been a hard um, thing for our U.S. multinationals to kind of deal with a little bit. And then on the flip side, Mike Wilson over at Morgan Stanley, who about a month and change ago called for a tactical bull run. He has been very bearish. He's been leading most strategists to the downside. He got his 15%. Now he's saying to go the other way. Thoughts here, because Mike Wilson thinks that on the downside, we could see at some point in the first half of the year, maybe 3,200, 3,300, where my, uh, Tom, Tom Lee is saying we could be at 4,500 by the end of this year, and we have less than a month. Well, independent of the basis for the judgments, the key difference is that the bull judgment is making the case that we have an interruption in the sequence, because as of now, the sequence is very clear. Yeah. We have a consecutive series of lower highs and lower lows, right? So we know that the June low was exceeded downside with the October low, and we know this rally right now 
has not been able to get back above the August high. So the bull case there is that somehow the sequence will be broken, which is going against the facts as we know it. The facts as we know it are the sequence is intact and that the counter trend rally, as impressive as it might be or has been, is simply just that, a counter trend rally that gets resolved by lower prices and a continuation of the sequence. So forget the individuals. One is going with precedent. One's going with what we've seen so far all along the bear case. The bull case is calling for an interruption of the sequence that's been very well defined. Yeah. And and I guess we've talked about this a little bit. I mean, when you look at this S&P chart here, I mean, it's grinding up into that little kind of pennant or whatever you want to call it. It's contending with that moving average, whether you, you use the 150, we have the two, 200 deal, uh, you know, it's going to break one way or another. I guess the issue that you'd have to ask yourself is like, what would be the cause to the upside? You know, is there going to be a dramatic Fed pivot? I don't think so. I think what I took away from Fed chair's comments on Wednesday was that they're going to stay the course and they're going to continue to tighten. They may not tighten at the pace in which they have over the last four meetings, but that with quantitative tightening is going to work its way into the economy. They still want it to slow. So I just don't know how the S&P breaks out meaningfully above that. And then if you look at the five-year chart of the S&P, Carter, I mean, let me ask you this. Um, you've been look, you've looked at millions and millions of charts over decades here. Look at, I mean, just like on a five-year basis, okay? Like, look at how precise, as you've been pointing out for months and months and months, right? The resistance has been there. And then to the downside, you know, I draw that little support channel that brings us back to the pre-pandemic highs in February 2020. I mean, like, how often do you see a chart like this that is in such an inflection point? Well, again, independent of the the green lines, right, which, uh, I mean, obviously, you're connecting the lows of October with a point in the past. But when you get down a certain amount, and that's all that it is, think about on the low, the S&P was down 27%. Yeah. Well, in other bear markets where it was down 50, at some point it was down 27 and you get counter trend rallies. So all the world is watching to see whether this is just that or whether it's the beginning of something new. I remain in the camp that it's just that it's a counter trend rally. But consensus, let me just say this, is overwhelmingly bullish for at least the month of December. Yeah. And there's a strong case now starting to emerge, not one that I subscribe to, that the lows are in. Um, I will point out one thing, which is sort of interesting. So long as um, they've been tracked and while we've had strategists for years, strategists at the beginning or the end of each year before New Year starts put out their price targets, right? It's a Wall Street convention, which is silly. Who the heck knows where you're going to be at 4 p.m. exactly 12 months hence, but they do it because people like it. It makes them feel good. Um, And here's the thing. Strategists have never once predicted a down year for the equity market. Yeah. No one wants to hear that, right? They say, boo, don't clients don't like that. The bankers don't like that. Get out of here. So they always predict. But guess what? We have a circumstance now that's unprecedented. As of now, right now, and while not all strategists have put in their 2023 price targets, consensus among the 17 strategies that have put their price is that the S&P will be at 4,000, which is essentially calling for a flat to down year. That's never happened. And so either there's a lot of wisdom, all these individuals have grown up and gotten wise, or something, it's very unlikely to be what they think. So it's either a big up year or it's lights out, but there's no chance that we're gonna somehow settle in at 4,000. That would imply we end up right where we are now, maybe with a lot of volatility. That's just not gonna happen. 
Well, just, you know, and, and Mike Wilson has actually said that he was on fast money last week and was talking about it. He's like, listen, even if you have a flat, you know, year over year target, it's like the way we get there is going to, I mean, he thinks, he thinks we're going to get there in, in a harsh way. The other thing I'd say about the targets, you know, um, John Butters um, over at Fax said he's the, the senior earnings um, analyst over there. He had a note out on Friday that we highlighted on Thursday, just basically saying over the last 25 years, most S&P strategists overestimate S&P earnings one year out by 7%. So again, S&P earnings are still calling for an up year over year in 2023 by maybe 5% is the consensus. And let's just say, you know, that's, you know, basically working is overestimation. You have a down earnings year. I just think if you correlate the down S&P earnings year, you're going to have a lot of volatility to the downside, especially in a market that's only down 15% on the year after being up 28% last year. And real quickly on the length of the bear market, Lizanne Saunders over at Schwab, she had this tweet out earlier today. She said, it feels like a long bear market, but doesn't yet close. It's not yet close to the others. The S&P 500 has gone just over 230 days without returning to its prior high. The streak is not even past one we saw in 2016. If they could throw that chart up, that looks really interesting to me. Again, I think the average bear market during a recessionary environment is maybe like a year or so. Thoughts on that, on duration, Carter? Well, that's that's it. It's it's magnitude and duration in all instances. So, for instance, was uh, the, the wipeout from the 19th of February to the 24th of March, the COVID sell-up, was that a bear market? Well, people would say, of course it was. It was down 35%. Yeah. But it really wasn't because you didn't have any duration to it. 1987 was a, was a was a crash associated with computers and triggers. In many ways, that wasn't a proper bear market. Is both marked by time and duration, and typically lasting three quarters to multiple years. And this one is again only about ten months. In the yeah. All right. So let's look at the VIX really quickly. <clears throat> Not that charting it is that useful, but again, you know, when the VIX has gotten to, I don't know, like 20 or so, um, it's usually been a good indication to sell stocks, at least over the last year. And when it's gotten to, you know, the mid to high 30s, it's been a good time to buy them. We kind of broke that uptrend that's been in place from the lows um, from about, a year ago, but it's interesting to me if I overlay, you know, over a five-year basis, the S&P 500 versus the VIX, and the VIX is basically tracking the volatility, the implied volatility of the S&P 500 here, and you see that move. I mean, what, what, what really sticks out to me here, Carter, is that even during this bear market that we had, even when we had the S&P at its lows down 27% earlier this year, we never saw a VIX above 40. And if you go back and look at those spikes above 40, I mean, obviously the COVID period that you just mentioned, it was like the height of uncertainty. Then at late 2018, Carter, that's when the Fed was last raising interest rates and they were not raising them 75 basis points or 50 basis points. So I think this VIX is really interesting thoughts. Do you ever look at the VIX versus the S&P? And is that range even interesting to you? Because I'm playing for, and I have a trade that I'm going to detail after in, in a second here, I'm playing for the S&P to come in and the VIX to go back and test that 30 level. I mean, that's the trade I would put on. I mean, obviously, they're, they're, the one thing about VIX, of course, is it's it's not um, never trends, right? It always yep. is basically sort of range bound with great spikes. Uh, the, the the thing about spikes is they're associated with flash crashes, right, or something that's pretty dramatic on a day to day, week over week basis. We really haven't had that, right? This has been a a drip, 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 which is what a proper bear market is, which gets back to the subject of is it finish in terms of duration. And, and I would say no. Yeah. So here's a trade and I don't trade options on the VIX too frequently, but 
I did this this morning because I just thought the risk reward looks really interesting. And I'm just going to lay it out for you today. So when the VIX was trading about 2035, I bought the December 21st expiration, really important VIX trades on different expirations than a lot of other options that you trade. And they also settle in the morning, not on the close. So that's really important. So definitely look into that if you're looking to trade options on the VIX. But I bought the December 21st expiration, 2530 call spread. And again, the VIX was trading at 2035. I paid 45 cents for that. I bought one of the December 21st, 25 calls for about 75 cents. I sold one of the December 21st, 30 calls, about 30 cents. Again, cost me 45 cents. That's my max risk. I have profits up to 455 between 25, 45, and 30 with a max gain above that. I have losses of up to 45 cents between 25 and 25, 45 with a max loss of 45 cents below 25. And the rationale here is very simple. This is a long shot. It doesn't break even up until about 25%. And that is the, you know, the VIX has to be moving very sharply in a short period of time. So in this scenario, if we had a down 5% in the S&P from here, we're going to have a mid to high 20s VIX. In my opinion, you can do some math on that. You can look at how you figure that out. So the options market is only saying that there's about a 30% chance that the VIX is 25 or higher on December 21st in the morning, and about a 12% chance that it's above 30. And so again, not great probabilities, but I like the risk reward here. And I like the ability for kind of have some, I guess, flexibility that if we do have a market creating lower, I think the VIX might have an unusually high spike this time around because of year end. Thoughts on that, Carter? Yeah. I mean, I think that obviously the, the time frame is, is a tough one, right? Because there is this notion, even if it is just because it becomes um, self-fulfilling. It's tough to get any real crashes in December. It's happened. Yeah. But the real issue is, and if there's a little more time, we have seen many instances where you come in in the first days of January and everything sinks, right? That have people been holding on till the end. And they're uh, one of the great bear markets of all time, 73, 74, started literally on Jan 4. 1973 went straight down for two years. And we've seen it this year. This year's peak was Jan 4. We've gone down. So uh, if one could push this out a little bit, I, and obviously they'll be more expensive, but my hunch is that yeah. the real risk is in, in January. No, I totally. And two things that I'm focused on, you know, the last couple of times that we did have a December to remember, as they might say, it was 2018 when we were raising interest rates. Then we also had some volatility. Remember back in the day when the debt mm -hmm. ceiling was a thing? Well, we have a debt ceiling deadline and we have a lame duck Congress and we have some people that might want to push it. We also have this um, Fed meeting. And we're also going to have a lot of inflation data. So to me, I think it was worthy of playing for a 25% bounce just to break even. The risk reward is pretty decent. The probability of that risk reward is not great. I think it's really important to think about those things in that context. Um, all right, let's look at yields real quickly, Carter, because again, you thought we'd see three and a half. That's where we got to. I also thought we'd get down there. Are we finding some support at that sort of June, um, you know, that that June high, which was a breakout level in September, and we came back to here? What is this chart? This is my chart, not yours. Dumb lines. They're, they're mine. No, um, I mean, I guess as support goes, support is typically where a great deal of um, – interaction took place where shares changed yep. hands or in this case where the bonds trained hands in Chicago. So it's, it's, it's a level that, you know, you've cited uh, that, that made sense and I've written reports on it, but there's not a lot of support there. Um, yep. So to speak, ultimately, if what we see that's been going on 
is real, meaning something is changing, right? Then it's lower yields and it's lower dollar ultimately and ultimately lower stocks. Yeah. And and, and that combination, and we've been talking about that a lot. I mean, that is the stagflation play. And so a lot of people think that yields lower is good for stocks, not an environment where, you know, the the kind of prices, uh, you know, of of goods and services remain elevated, even though they peak. If we have slower growth, right, you're going to have a situation that's not going to, that'll be reflected in the 10 year yield. So I'm still on that. I I think we close the year down near that 200 day moving average near about 3% or so. The last one here on a macro basis before, we get to some of the charts that you brought along for some stocks. Let's look at crude oil here because you see the news overnight. There's been a lot of kind of back and forth between basically what the EU is going to do in these price caps on Russian oil. We see that OPEC is going to continue um, you know, with the supply here. Crude just doesn't act well here. And it's obviously, I mean, to me, it really feels like it's going to close towards the lows of the year. I have a bearish trade on the XLE. I have a bearish trade on the USO. Um, I feel like I'm pressing it a little bit here. Carter, just thoughts on the on the one year here because we're kind of contending just a little bit of a support brings us back to the fifty two week lows. It's it really is not in any particular position, and that's we all. I mean, I think I'm the most guilty is not the word, but most prone of anyone to try to find a level, yeah. see a level, draw a line, and and they do uh, literally for hours on end. And sometimes it's all forgotten, and we crumple it up and put it in the whisper basket, which is I delete all the lines, and start over. I think that's what this is. We 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 know that, and this is the irony of it: that recency is a big issue in life and in the markets. When oil spiked from 90 to 130, no less than Jamie Dimon said it will go to 200. Yeah. And Wall Street raised it. And guess what? That's called recency. When it was down here, you start hearing people say 65 and 60. And then uh, the truth is, it's not in any particular position right now. It's just, there it is. Yeah. Okay. And then the other thing I just say, you know, like, you know, we get tagged. We're always this, we're always that. You know, it's funny. I had a conversation with Liz Young um, this morning that's going to drop on our podcast on the tape. And Liz from from SoFi, you know her, love her. I mean, some strategists are a bit more tactical. Others just t- kind of take a longer term view. And she said that, you know, some of her listeners, viewers, whatever, were hating her on the way up. She remained bearish during this, this, this last 15% over the last five weeks. Now, again, there's nuance in that, right? And so you've been bearish. You've been bearish on stocks. You've been bearish on yields. You've been bearish on crude. You've been bearish on the dollar. Um, I get the worth charting emails. I see it. I talk to you a couple times a week, but you're also looking for spots to buy things. Okay. And we've done a number of segments on market call over the last couple of months that you've been calling bearish to bullish reversals. Right. And so again, you can have an overall macro view, but you can look for opportunities to take the other side. So talk to me a little bit about why these stocks, you know, they don't have anything in common, right? You know what I mean? You're doing your work, you're looking for the patterns, but is there anything I'd love for you to walk me through some of them and kind of give a sense. Is there something about the market cap? Is there something about the percentage? percentage down or, or something like that. Or, you know, I'm just curious to walk us through this bearish to bull, bullish um, thought process, because this is going to be really important in 2023, where it becomes important to start differentiating stocks from the market to make money in that environment. Sure. Before we look at the charts, I mean, the concept of a bearish to bullish reversal, just as the language implies, um, is it something that's been 
down and down and down to the right. It's starting to cure and heal and bottom. Some people call them rounding bottoms. I don't think that nomenclature quite covers it because it doesn't talk about the precondition or basis. A bearish to bullish reversal really describes a circumstance, something that's been bearish, that's now reversing and is in principle in a bullish or more bullish circumstance than it's been. And we see this in the KWEB. We, we see it in biotech. Yep. Uh, you see it in, in aggregates such as gold or, or silver. And you, of course, see it at any given time in individual stocks. It could be Netflix, which obviously we've discussed at great length together, or, or it could be stock X or Y or Z. Uh, the point is, Everything has a reciprocal. The opposite of a bearish to bullish is a bullish to bearish. That's what Tesla was, right? Rolling over and so forth. Uh, but at any given time, independent of what one's view is, macro or otherwise, there's always a, a place to have long and short bets in the market. And today's piece just happened to put out a master list of stocks judged to be in the throes of bearish to bullish reversals. Yeah, and so it's interesting. Uh, and again, you're going to walk us through it a little bit. You start with the basket. So you took all of these individual names that that kind of, you know, basically took on some characteristics that you liked here, but you plotted them equal weight as a single security. What, what, what does that do for you? Because again, these stocks are all random. They're put in there. It's just showing how similar they all are. Right. Well, by, and so think about what the RSP, it's an Invesco ETF, which is the equal weight S&P versus the SPY. When you have aggregates that are so dominated by just a handful of names, as we know the S&P is, or the XLY, right? Uh, Home Depot and uh, Amazon, right, are, are 40% or Tesla, Home Depot and Amazon, 40% of the XLY. One of the points of having equal weight aggregate um, which is what the determination of pure value is. How is a stock doing relative to all the choices in a certain area of the market? And so what this simple basket is, is um, we look through every stock in the Russell 3000, over 400 million market cap, has a certain average daily volume and a certain value traded. Universe is about 1,700 names. And we single that about 140 judged to be in the throes of bottoming out, bearish to bullish. That's what that chart is. So that's taking all of them. And, and there are big names in there like uh, Accenture and NVIDIA, and there are small names uh, like Etsy uh, and Pinterest. But that basket, and what's important about it is, notice that it doesn't make the low in October where the S&P does make the low. Yep. And that's a very, and that's just a one-year chart. We can do longer term. We might have it here, but there's two years and here's three years is the next one even longer. And this is the incredible thing about it. This aggregate almost got all the way back to its COVID low. Yeah. But basing and bottoming. Yeah. Well, walk us through some of these names because they're, they're interesting. And, and again, you know, like I, I, I know you know this, but <clears throat> people ask me, um, I, I love charts. And, and to me, they're a really important input. And since the day I started in the business 25 years ago, um, I just sat there scrolling charts on my fact set machine, you know, that's sort of um, So it's it, to me, I just sometimes stimulates thought and, and it makes me look deeper at an individual name or look at the sector when I see something. So to walk us through some of these because, you know, again, I haven't looked at market access holdings in a while. Um, I haven't looked at Yeti, although I love their products. I have looked at KWeb, which you've been talking about. You've been calling it off of the lows, uh, but you've been kind of broadening it out to a bigger theme as it relates to Chinese equities. So love to hear some thoughts on these individual names. Right. So they'll, they'll we've got several, I think, but the, the circumstances is the common one of serious weakness, right? And you're talking about stocks that far exceeded the market on the downside that now are 
way above the market. Let's take this first one. Well, you know, the market had a high on August 18th, 16th. Is the market above its August high? No. Market access is way above yeah. its August high. Its 150-day moving average, which is just an automated trend line, is flattening and has all the elements of a bearish to bullish reversal. But it, uh, the key here is it's not even looking at them individually, looking at them in aggregate. And that's the point of the basket. We can maybe scroll through quickly. But Yeti, let's toggle there. Yeti and, and market access. Yeti, market access. What do they both have? Big wipeouts. Yeah. They both have huge thrusts off the low. They both move above their 150-day moving average. They both check back to it. And now the 150-day moving average itself is flattening. That's the definition of a bearish. And where is this stock relative to its August high? Way above. Yeah. Market nowhere near. Right? Well, so, yeah. yeah. Zero, tremendous well, relative strength. Yeah, sorry about that, Carter. Let, let, let's look at a couple because I think it's interesting. You threw in um, the K Web, which we just mentioned. That's the Chinese internet. The XBI, which is the S and P biotech um, mm -hmm. uh, ETF, and then there was also one more. I think um, uh, index one. Talk to me about when you see that. So when you start seeing subsectors kind of acting this way too, does it make you a little more bullish about the broad market? Well, it's each each chart unto itself, right? And you know the broad market is has rallied to a difficult level, whereas that's not the case here. Let's take this XBI. What's the first thing that jumps out? Yes, the 150 flattening, yep. but it makes a low in May. Yep. In June, it tests that low and passes the test. The S&P is making a new low in June, and the S&P goes all the way to new lows in October. So this is the very testament to impressive relative strength. Or said differently, this one topped out before the market, and it's bottomed out before the market. Yeah. Hey, real quickly, last one here, because I know we got to get out of here. Let's see if they can find that XHB chart. So that was another one. And I think we mentioned it last week. And so this is the Home Builders um, ETF, sector ETF. And again, it's having a tough time today with rates up a little bit, which is kind of surprising. But I think to your point, did not make a new low from the spring. It's been banging mm -hmm. around. It had a pretty sharp rise breaking out of that little um, you know, cluster that it was in and above its moving average mm -hmm. here. That was after, I think, that, um, that inflation data last week. Thoughts here? Is this one of the groups that you just generally like better than like some of the other ones you just mentioned? You want to sell better than banks. the market, yeah, right? Yeah, Meaning, yeah. if if one wants to be in the pairs world, not to say that yeah. that's what everyone wants to do, but it, it, let's talk about the market. Say one thing in principle is that all picks that one is doing, the, the market is very hard to beat. This has been proven, right? Yeah. So either you give up, which is fine, and that's I don't say that pejoratively, and you play golf, and you just put it all in the SPY, and you don't trade to play low cost and just enjoy the broad thrust of equities, both up and down. Or, in principle, bet picking, which is one of two things, either seriously identifying longs that you believe are going to, or never picking longs at all, and essentially finding shorts only because your money is just left in the S&P. And whenever you're playing chess against it, you're picking shorts. But the, the, the notion of just doing nothing, some people like that. Hey, yeah. God bless. That's not me. I mean, I want to I play chess with the 
with the with the index. It's certainly not me. All right. We love it. You're going to continue to update us in your bearish to bullish reversals. I really appreciate the heavy duty lifting that you did today without Guy Adami. So Carter, thank you very much for all of Carter's great worth. Check him out at worthcharting.com. Nothing slick, just charts. And then I want to thank you guys all for being with us here today, brought to you by FactSet. And thanks to them for providing us with all the charts and the data and analytics for this broadcast. Guy and I will be back tomorrow at 1 p.m. on Market Call. So thanks so much, Carter. Thank you, bud. I appreciate it. Of course.